Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 26 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today, I'm joined by Evan Helda, Business Development and Strategy at AWS for Spatial Computing. And we're talking about the ultimate promise of the metaverse. So the use cases that will actually drive demand and have a positive impact on humanity. So it's quite a topic, (laughs) something to live up to. Let's see if we can live up to it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we can start out with your background in life and crypto and and you can tell me how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I, I, I grew up in California and then was raised in North Carolina. So I'm a, a bi-coastal kid. I um, was always uh, into games and gaming um, throughout my youth. Uh, was really into this idea of a metaverse and a digital layer on top of the world from a young kid, you know, reading all kinds of sci-fi books. So this has been something that's been buried in my subconscious for a long time. So it's a joy to get a work in the space. Um, but I didn't start off in tech. I started off in, in finance. Uh, I was a finance major in college. Don't remember a thing from that. Um, you know, I was wearing a suit going in with a headset on and smiling and dialing and working a CRM system. It wasn't great. Um, got out of that pretty quickly though and got into ad tech, worked for a startup in ad tech space, got really, um, knowledgeable about how the ad business works and how ads work on social media and how the whole ecosystem works between agencies and brands and all the middlemen in between. Um, which is pretty relevant for this conversation and for, for where the metaverse is going. Um, but then the, the founder of a startup I worked for there uh, took me with him to a augmented reality startup. And I was the head of sales and partnerships at, at the OG meta, the first meta before Facebook did the pivot. And we had an AR headset, we had a software development kit, and we were one of the first companies out there competing with the Microsoft HoloLens and building out an ecosystem of developers and uncovering use cases for AR, like training and design and collaboration. And so definitely got hooked on the space there. Um, Meta suffered an unfortunate but pretty um, traditional demise of many Silicon Valley companies. And I went over to a company called Improbable next. Um, Some people probably heard of Improbable. It's one of the big SoftBank um, investments. They are building out uh, back-end multiplayer technology to really enable a metaverse. Right, like today, if you think about game engines like Unreal and Unity, they only allow for about 100 or 120 players. That's why in Fortnite, right, um, it's a bunch of little micro instances within these concerts. It's not one massive concert with a million people. And so, what Improbable does is it stitches together numerous game engine instances in the cloud to allow them to all talk to each other. And in that way, you can have what looks and feels like a massive game engine instance. You can have thousands, tens of thousands of players. And so uh, Improbable just signed a pretty big deal with um, the Board API Club, uh, Club uh, Yuga Labs guys. And so they're using their tech to build out that other other side, I think, is the term of the metaverse they're building. So got a lot of exposure to the cloud there and then went over to the, the cloud um, giant that is Amazon Web Services. Um, and here I am uh, spearheading uh, go-to-market strategy, business development, for all things, what we call spatial computing. So anything that's 3D, right? AR, VR, mobile-based AR and 3D. And uh, my term is a specialist there. 
So it's a fancy term for BD and strategy. Um, and yeah, in terms of crypto, I got deep in the crypto space back in 2017 during the first, the first, not the first, but that was my first bull run. And um, just became obsessed with the promise and the value props and the use cases and started to really learn about NFTs even back then. And, you know, tried to convince the founders at Meta to pivot a little bit and build out an NFT marketplace of sorts back back then before it was even uh, a really uh, renowned thing. And um, they thought I was crazy, shut the idea down. I tried to go raise money from a few startups. They thought it was too early, shut the idea down. You know, go figure. OpenSea was starting at that Imagine. same time where it yeah. is now. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, now, now with an AWS, I'm still touching some Web3 stuff, which we get into a bit later if you want. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, that's exactly what I was going to ask next. So with AWS or Amazon Web Services, I'm not sure if I said that. Um, yeah. Can you tell us kind of how you're connected with obviously the mm-hmm. the spatial computing, but also Web3 metaverse, how that all? Yeah. Yeah. My day to day focus is largely on the immersive experience side of the metaverse, right? The the elements that go into creating 3D immersive experiences and delivering them. Um, But in in terms of Web3, you'd be shocked how many um, blockchain nodes, Ethereum nodes, and other L1s um, run their their nodes on AWS infrastructure, right? Just raw compute instances. And so we are building out a team and building out some services to help streamline, you know, launching and configuring compute instances that can really manage the workload for blockchain validation and whatnot. Um, and then what I'm really focused on is, again, at the, ex- at the experience layer, but a big thing we're seeing is that in a lot of brands, a lot of customers, they have all kinds of 3D content, all kinds of 3D assets, and they're trying to figure out, oh, wait, how can we turn this into a digital product with NFTs? And then they do it, and then it's just a static JPEG or something, and they're like, okay, how can we do more with this? And so then you have, you know, these game worlds and you have these galleries and you have all these different endpoints for 3D assets, be it NFTs or just be it, you know, a 3D asset of a shoe for e-commerce. And so what we're very focused on is helping brands create more streamlined, centralized, standardized systems and processes to create, manage and deliver 3D content to all these different endpoints. Um, and so if you think about it, if you're like, if you're Nike, if you're Adidas, um, the, the vision is to have this end-to-end digital thread where their design team can ideate on a new shoe. And then they can take that design, collaborate around it to make it perfect, send it out to their, you know, back upstream to the manufacturers to make sure it's built physically right. Then they can take that same 3D file, push it out into e-commerce experiences or push it out into an NFT type of mint or push it out into Fortnite games, right? So they need better workflows and pipelines around all that. And that's the main thing we focus on here. Okay, awesome. Good. Then, yeah, uh, let's get into it. So uh, to start off, I would love if you could give me kind of a really quick definition of the metaverse and what we're talking about, what we're working with here, so we can start on the same foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a super subjective thing. And at first, I didn't really love the term metaverse, but it's the cat's kind of out of the bag, right? So you kind of have to figure yeah. out how to place it and define it. So what I've what I've started to do is try to boil it down to really two, sometimes three key elements. Um, the first is is that it's, hey, this is just an evolution of the internet. 
and it's not fully evolved and never will be fully evolved. It's going to always evolve, right? But it's an evolution towards three things, and it's towards creating a Z-axis for the Internet, right? Like today we have, you know, very um, flat symbols and abstractions to under help us understand digital information and navigate a digital world. And it's not the most intuitive human experience. So we can pop that out, make it 3D, make it more immersive. It just really creates a much more intuitive human computer interaction paradigm um, that just lowers the learning curve for computers. Um, so that's one element. And then the other element is it's, it's hard to call something a metaverse, right? A verse, like a universe where you can really have an existence within if there's not like ownership and, and, and identity around those things. And so for your, your audience probably already knows this quite well, but that's where the Web3 stuff comes into play. Um, unique elements, scarcity around digital assets, um, and not just your assets, but also yourself. Um, in, the, in terms of identity, it's not just, hey, here's my um gamer tag or my pseudonym but it's all of the things that get tied to that within you know a centralized kind of holding place which is what the, you know, these digital wallets are becoming and they become an expression of identity an expression of who you are it's like a symbol for your brand and the nfts you own the causes you stand for the groups you belong to um the content you create um will all shine through via a wallet and that will be how you socialize, how you interview, right? How you're, for better or for worse, judged in many ways, but hopefully that will lead to the good sides of judgment, not judgment in a bad way, but just more understanding, I guess I would say, of who you are and what you care about and what you know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of these points I think we're definitely going to touch on throughout mm. this talk. That's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, good, good to have a, a solid place to start here. Um, so the first thing that you kind of touched on was that 3D kind of atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. With that, a lot of people are worried about us getting pulled out of reality. Um, mm -hmm. But you seem to have different ideas on how mm -hmm. it can enhance our reality. Can you mm -hmm. tell me more about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and I'm a huge victim of this, I think these little rectangles in our pocket are already pulling us out of our reality in some pretty unfortunate ways, right? Whether you're in a living room with your family, you're out to lunch with a friend or in a meeting with your peers, like you pull out your phone or your laptop and you're, you're out of it, right? You're, you've lost eye contact, you're distracted. Um, whatever you're looking at is not contextual with likely what's going on around you. And so I, I like to think about the metaverse um, more so in the augmented reality sense I think the virtual reality, you know, inherently takes us out of reality, right? And that has good and bad things. But I don't think it's going to be as big as people think. I think the augmented reality thing is going to be the experience that more people really like, especially people who are adults and people who have, like, affinities for the real world and for their people, the people around them. And so I like to think a lot about this idea of, like, the campfire experience from back when we were, you know, in our caveman days. Right. The campfire was the source of so many innovations from language to art to storytelling and to human connection. And, and the phone and the laptop is a campfire killer. But if you can wear AR glasses and like keep eye contact and put contextual information and stories in front of us and have better conversations. Um, and then, you know, it has to be designed the right way. But when we're walking around the world, if we can have really nice subtle cues to enhance our agency. 
agency meaning our ability to have impact in our world and have influence over the things we do and what we can influence, I guess, right? And so I think just augmented reality, um, there, there's this line by a, a modern day philosopher named Jason Silva where he says that augmented reality is going to inject our perceptual systems with increased and per, persistent agency in all contexts. And I love that phrase. Um, and so I think that's that's where the metaverse is going to enhance our reality and keep us locked into it in better ways, maybe even enhance flow states, enhance our ability during conversation to have a better story um, and to explain things better. And so I think that's a pretty powerful idea. Yeah. First, evolution being towards language and, and expressing ideas through words. And next, you can just automatically show people what you're mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah thank, thanks for those Harry Potter CGI effects. Yeah, that's going to be real. Oh, perfect. That's my dream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, are we talking first Harry Potter or last? Because those are very different effects that we're working with here. That's a good point. We're talking about quality of effects. We'll we'll skew towards the latter. Great. (laughs) Then, yeah, you wrote a whole article under the title of The Ultimate Promise of the Metaverse, our topic for Mm -hmm. today. Um, A few things from that. So first of all, you quote Edward O. Wilson uh, with the statement, we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. What Mm. do you think that stems from? And does that developing metaverse help or hurt this disconnect? Mm. Mm -hmm. Working backwards is a help or hurt, right? I I like Mm -hmm. to talk about how technology is generally neutral and it's the inputs we give it that skew one way or the other. So it's really up to us um, in terms of does it help or hurt. In terms of what the source of that is, there's this really great book um, by Kevin Kelly um, called What Technology Wants. And he he quotes George Lucas, um, who's probably one of the most amazing innovators in the future of technology and thinkers. And and he he depicts this diagram. He says, like, you know, you think about um, the advances in science and technology, that it's a line and a chart that's kind of going like a cross and just shoots straight up like a rocket ship. And then you think about our humanity and our um, emotional state and ability to, like, understand our emotions, control our emotions, and just um, it it stayed flat. (laughs) Right? Like, as humans, we're still in the caveman age when it comes to our emotions and our minds and our our bodies and so as that as that line gets further and further apart there's going to be some consequences to that and i think that's what edward o wilson is, is hinting at so um acutely and so I, I think the only solution to that is like okay we can't just be victims to the godlike technology it's like we need to be godlike ourselves with the technology use it to become godlike and use it to have um what tristan harris calls the wisdom of gods um, and I think there's ways to use this technology to upgrade our emotions and to better understand them and to have experiences that balance ourselves out and have experiences that make us feel more whole and more connected. Um, and also experiences that help us just become more aware of kind of our smallness, right? It's really easy for people to get these myopic views and get all stressed out about their problems and their uh, relationship struggles and their money problems and you name it and everyone has these problems and like there's there's things out there that exist to, to try to nuke these problems right you know people go to burning man people that can afford it 
the irony is that people in tech who kind of are creating social media and stuff that you know, yields these anxieties and stresses on our emotions. They're the ones that end up being able to afford to go to Burning Man to, um, to heal them. But, you know, Burning Man exists to, to heal and it exists to reconnect in a very unique way that is, that avoids all of the stresses of modern society and all the afflictions we've created for ourselves. And, and, and Burning Man creates all these little moments of transcendence, right? These moments of like kind of euphoria. And people say they, they leave Burning Man, they feel renewed and they have an afterglow for months and months and months. And, but Burning Man is not very accessible for many people. Um, you know, it costs 10, 5,000, 10,000 bucks just to get there. You have to be gone for two weeks and the, you know, your average Joe or Jane isn't going to fly to the desert and spend that kind of money and leave their family or job to do that. So question becomes, how can we democratize access to these sort of moments of connection and transcendence and euphoria and, and flow? And, you know, it's going to be a while before you can have like a digital twin of Burning Man and have like the exact same experience. But tech is, the tech's getting good enough to have little micro moments of such transcendence and connection. Um, like the, the, the best example I like to use is just, you know, think about the astronaut overview effect. Um, and you know, you can look that up if you don't know what that is, but basically it's, it's the, it's the experience of going into space and looking back down at the planet and just realizing our smallness and realizing how insignificant all of the struggles and tribulations are of, you know, our, our tribal way of thinking. And people realize that if you could just see the world from this view, you'd, you'd realize that your problems aren't that vast and our, you know, our, our dissimilarities are not that dissimilar. And, and you'd have a whole, whole new appreciation for life and for your existence and for the world we live on. And so I, I think that with the metaverse, with VR and AR, different experiences, we could blast people to space in that kind of way and like give people those sort of perspectives and those viewpoints. And, and the whole space example is just a metaphor. There's some other kind of ways you could do that. Um, but that that's sort of what I'm getting at. And that's, what, that, that's where I think that this... Godlike technology can be used to overcome our paleolithic emotions. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you talk about that in kind of a, yeah. Well, okay. So what I'm thinking is obviously I think we're both at the age where we remember the time before the internet being available <laughs> at every moment. Um, and now mm -hmm. we're definitely, <laughs> as you said, they're in our pockets all the time. Google is just a click away. Um, so, with that kind of technology and that availability of information, we already have that thing where we can kind of zoom out and realize there's so much more, but because it's so available, maybe it is not as special. Do you feel like that's a concern? It's, it, it, it's not as visceral. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can pull up a, you know, a screenshot of planet earth in my phone and laptop right uh -huh. and then and there's even like you can even like tap into like live satellite feeds mm -hmm. but that's very different than like putting on a headset and experiencing like that blast off that sense of presence you know as you go through the atmosphere and you're looking around and you're popping through the ozone layer and then all of a sudden you're mm -hmm. floating peacefully and you look back and you're like you're there mm -hmm. right and and you feel that vastness of space and you feel that smallness of the earth and it's just like that, again, that visceral sense that I think these immersive experiences create, you just can't get with 
the traditional rectangular 2D in our pocket experience. Yeah, okay. That's fair. It's got to be all the way around you. <laughs> mm-hmm, pretty much. Okay. Full, like, <laughs> uh, what is it? Ready Player Me kind of experience. Yeah, a little bit, exactly. Okay. Cool. Maybe you can touch on um, what are some things that you have heard or that people tend to get wrong when they think about the metaverse? Oh, I mean, the most common one is that people just think it has to be a VR headset and it has to have avatars and you have to be running around this persistent virtual space. I think um, you can access it however you want based upon the, the, the context you're in. The, the level of immersion you want. Um, that's the most common misconception. Um, I think the other misconception is that it has to be super gamified, right? With like points and tokens and, you know, jumping and flying and all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, if you want to go have that, you can go have that. But I think there's going to be more subtle experiences you can have that are a bit more tuned to various tastes. Um, it's not just going to be this like kind of overwhelming CGI heavy. I mean, it's all technically CGI, but what I mean by that is like the kind of like, um, we'll call it in your face, super colorful, hyper intense kind of Fortnite type experience. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be that. So I think those are the two main misconceptions. Okay. Along the same vein, then what do you see as some of people's biggest fears yeah, I mean, there's the obvious ones we touched on, right? Just like losing losing sense of nature, right? And not being able to like go out and play. And you know, a lot of a lot of people, I guess people call them boomers, right? And they're like, oh, but you know, back in my day, I used to go out and scrape my knees and <laughs> um, you know, get in fights and toughen me up. And um, I think those are all true things. I think that. Um, I think that the reality is that if we do it right with like augmented reality, it's going to actually be the savior. Cause guess what? Like the kids aren't getting in fights because augmented reality doesn't exist. Right. Cause because the only good thing is VR and Fortnite, So they're going to get stuck. They're going to stay in their home and they're going to, and you know, they're having amazing social experiences and they're leveling up themselves in other ways that, you know, older people just can't understand. Um, but I do agree with like the importance of making contact with the harshness of reality um, and how that can lead to growth. And so I think if we can do AR glasses, right, you'll get that, you'll get out in the world and you'll get in those fights <laughs> and you'll build things in the real world. And I use fights as just like a metaphor for like you know, <laughs> yeah. becoming anti-fragile, if you will. But yeah, um, yeah that, that's, that's how I would alleviate people's fears. Just say, hey, like, there's gonna be there's gonna be an evolution where yes, it'll be a phase where it's mostly indoor virtual reality game experiences. But once we do it right over time, AR will get us back out in the world and have more enhanced experiences in nature. Good. Um, how much of the creation and eventual success of the metaverse is based on human psychology? Then. Hmm. Well. I was about to say all of it. I mean, I guess if we're being <laughs> pragmatic, um, a lot of it does depend on psychology, but on like 
fit hard computer science and physics problems, right? You need a ton of compute. You need a ton of edge compute closer to users. You need really beefed up networking capabilities. You need 5G and, you know, there's the speed of light problem. So there's all kinds of physical things that have to be overcome. And that's our job at AWS, at, at, at Amazon Web Services, right? We are trying to build out that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just going to be a bunch of tools and of course our human psychology is where it comes into play uh what i think is that the most powerful thing in terms of our psychology and our behavior is going to be around using imagination as a tool i think a lot of the afflictions for the individual and for society society as a whole is due to lack of, of imagination and for one of the first times we have you know 3D and AR and VR and all kinds of tools to create experiences of limitless imagination. And so what, what does that do? Well, I mean, I, on one hand, I think the most powerful thing is that it's, it's really hard for people to connect and to have empathy. There's no imagination, right? In, in, in unimaginative states, we are, you know, we're not, we're not really open, right? We're not open. We're not, um, thinking differently. We're not aware. We're not thinking about the other person's, um, perspectives. And I, I keep using the word myopic, but that that's the word, right? And that's why you see all this like left versus right, woke versus mm-hmm. unwoke. Um, and also people that just kind of are in these woe is me states where they're not inspired and they're stuck in, ho-hum jobs and they have a victim type mindset they're not imagining their own possibilities um and so i think that that's the biggest thing is that if we can just like trigger these environments that just spark imagination you're going to have people that can have more empathy and be able to connect more deeply and be more open to new ideas and see them viscerally for themselves um from a first person perspective you know the classic case of walking in someone else's shoes um, and not, not just, not just actually having to imagine, but actually experiencing, um, the other person's perspective and, and world and reality, it's, it's going to lead to some powerful downstream effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier, I was going to ask you what sort of use cases you could give me for how it, we could, how do you put it, upgrade our emotions, but I guess that yeah. would be one of them. I mean, to... I, I have, I have some, I have a couple of good examples there. Um, I was talking to this guy at a party recently. He's a surfer, and he just—he's a new surfer. I asked him why he was so into it, and he started telling me about how, like this, this um, horizon, this, this effect on our physiology um, and our biology when we just stare at the horizon on the ocean. It actually affects our sympathetic nervous system when I mean, you just stare out that at that vastness and floating in the water and just creates these chemical balances that are really good and, and healthy. And it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's not so much just being in the ocean. I mean, that is part of it, but it's even just, it's just looking at the horizon does something to the human body and balances us, us out. And so <clears throat> why can't you have that experience in a, in a VR headset? And there's companies, there's companies out there that are combining, you know, VR with mindfulness and with meditation. This company called trip mm-hmm. um, is, is doing such things. So that's, I think that's a really interesting use case and then there's another use case um there's another article i wrote um called 2032 a day in the web3 life and at the end i um it's it's sort of a sci-fi story and 
uh, puts you in the shoes of a creator in the future. And this creator, you, um, you have a, a child and the child's acting up and you start to get angry and you, you almost start to start screaming and yelling, but instead you're stopped because you see a little, you know, subtle flashing red light in the top right corner of your AR glasses. And that light is telling you, Hey, like slow down, take a deep breath. Your emotions are getting the best of you. And that, that's possible today, right? We already have tons of devices that take biometric readings, you know, these rings, these watches and the glasses themselves will do that as well. And so these glasses are going to be able to sense our state, not just glasses and, you know, all kinds of wearable devices and sense our state and help us navigate that state in different contexts. Um, <laughs> if you want to get really trippy and go out in the future, I mean, eventually you're going to be able to combine all this biometric data with machine learning algorithms. You're going to have a personal AI assistant that's going to know you better than you know yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't and, know if I like and, that. <laughs> and, it's going to, and it's going to coach you through things in a subtle way. And um, yeah, you can opt in or opt out your own choice, but <laughs> it's going to be a thing. I'm on the bet my bottom dollar. Interesting. Glad I ended up asking that then. <laughs> um, good. Keeping on with the psychology here. Um, there was a study done by the American Psychological Association, technology and social media is already playing a part um, in increasing rates of depression and anxiety. So how can we work with this knowledge to access a positive metaverse experience? Whew deep topic here um, yeah it is it really is and you already kind of touched on it with the apps and things but if you want to well, dive there, into that more there's a, i mean there's so many layers but there's a few key layers i think and i know most people have seen the film social dilemma by now at this point on netflix and you know that was that was uh, produced um, by the center for humane technology and <clears throat> tristan harris is the, the main guy in that and um I think people are waking up to all these problems. And so it, it's, it's an interesting time in that it's kind of similar to the days of like tobacco, you know, tobacco regulation, <clears throat> you know, decades ago when, you know, tobacco was this huge behemoth and people were sort of ignorant to its effects. And then all of a sudden you had t tobacco titans and CEOs sitting in front of Congress and getting grilled and, you know, all kinds of uh, information coming out that was the truth. And I think we're in that phase now, which is wild. And the cause is, I mean, I try to keep things simple. I mean, the, the cause is just these ad-based business models. It's simply the way money flows, right? Like people don't realize that, you know, they're getting these great free services, but someone's got to pay the piper and um, that piper is brands paying, you know, these social media companies because they have to spend money on massive data centers to keep the lights on and pay employees to run those data centers. And so there, there's this misalignment in how money flows throughout that system in terms of incentive alignment with, this, with the stakeholders, right? Um, the end users are completely out of the equation in, in that money flow and that alignment. And so they suffer with shitty UI and bad experiences and <clears throat> ads. And, you know, and then it leads to algorithms that put content in front of you that increase met a certain metrics. Like the, the problem is like, okay, ad-based business models, but then 
what's being measured to enhance those is just a, something super simple, which is like engagement and conversion. And so what's going to maximize engagement and conversion is going to be content that is instigating content is controversial. Um, and so that, that's where the promise of web three lies, right? You, you know, you can, instead of having to rely on ads, you can have tokens, um, tokens to create revenue and ally incentives and everyone has ownership of these tokens. And so everyone's got the same skin in the game. And so, and then you have NFTs and whatnot that just can change the way you engage with your audience and distribute and monetize digital content. And so I think this shift in business model is, is everything. And that's super important because I, you know, I think that's where the metaverse totally will break down is if the metaverse relies on ad-based business models. Um, and I think that, you know, it's hard to ever get rid of like the placement of goods. Um, but I think, you can, I think in the metaverse, if we do it right, and there's other revenue streams coming from tokenomics and NFTs, then, then you can do ads in a different way where it's not about just hooking someone and shoving it in their face, but it's a more subtle thing where like, because of the data in your wallet that you own and it's super hyper-personalized and it tracks where you've been in a, in a more personal way, it's subtly placing a, you know, um, a product as you walk through your virtual house or, you know, a virtual mall, um, that's hyper relevant, right. And not just based upon, based upon overhearing what someone said in the room next to you about, you know, I wanted to buy a V-neck t-shirt, you know, something like that, which is what, which is so creepy now, you know, like I, I literally, someone else like talked about t-shirts cause they own a business. And then all of a sudden I was getting V-neck t-shirt ads on my Instagram. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just think it's that business model shift. It's going to be everything. And then, um, it's also going to take a lot of innovation around, truth seeking right i mean there's crazy technology coming out now that can um you know you 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 say um a few sentences about um a a cat you know with a santa claus hat on sitting on top of a cactus i don't know where that came from but like you could say that and you're gonna and it produces the most insanely high fidelity art Mm -hmm. in CGI of exactly that thing. And so, and, and there, I, I've seen these, you know, these fakes, these content, you say, you know, show me, um, a cityscape blowing up that looks like Ukraine. Right. And then you say that, you know, Ukraine got, you know, nuked and like and you put that out there and people are going to see it and believe it. And so how do you counter that with, you know, truth algorithms that can detect that kind of stuff? Um, that's going to be super critical and important for the mental health and just <laughs> stabilization of society at large, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good points. Let's move to a slightly more positive point here. Um, so which subsets of people do you foresee getting the most out of the metaverse experience? Hmm. I think people that want to learn. My, you know, the, the most powerful use case for these experiences is knowledge transfer. Um, 
And I think it's, you know, people like to talk about the displacement of lots of workforces, right? Whether it's truck drivers or, you know, technicians that do certain types of physical maintenance on things and um, they're going to all be replaced by robots. And so how do you give these people all new skill sets without having to run them through some kind of education program for years and years to acquire some intense domain knowledge? Um you know, the, the biggest use case we focus on here at um, AWS is within the you know, industrial enterprise world of like augmented reality worker assistance, right? You put on the headset and I don't have to be an expert on how to do some kind of complex assembly of some kind of harnessing on a jet, um, on the body of a jet, but I put these glasses on and it's going to show me step by step, step by step exactly where to run these wires through and where to clip them together. And all of a sudden I'm an expert. And so that's going to be super critical um, for people that either a are being displaced in the workforce or people who just want to change their life and go do something different. Okay. Okay. I kind of want to take that towards a negative place, but I think take a negative and see it. (laughs) I was just going to, going to point out the fact that if someone is just doing things based on a step-by-step basis every day, is that really fulfilling job? And I would say probably not, in which case is that then contributing more to the depression and yeah. That is a, that is an interesting point. And my pragmatic mind wants to say, if they don't have any skills, like what's the alternative, right? Like, and I think there's ways to make it interesting and sort of gamify the experience and make it rewarding. And what's so incredible is that, yeah, it's step-by-step instructions on how to do a thing, but with those, it can translate to anything, right? Like now, like today, I might only have knowledge about how to, string a harness together on a jet chassis uh, or a car chassis. And that's, that's all I do because I don't have any assistance and digital guides to do anything different. But what if I want to learn how to put the screws in the wheels? What if I want to learn how to like actually maybe construct the panels and, and now I'm contributing to the holistic creation of a thing. Now that's rewarding. That's fun. And what if I'm seeing my skills increase, right? That then there's, you know, games are so rewarding because there's a sense of growth and it's visceral. You can see it in those points you're scoring, those levels, there's items you accumulate. And so people love that and gives them a sense of purpose. And so that could be translated, I think, to the enterprise as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair comeback. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then, so we talked about people. That's great. Very important part of this. Which Mm -hmm. systems and industries do you think will get the most out of the metaverse? Yeah. I mean, just touched on it. I I think um, these industries where you have these complex tasks that are going to still need humans, but a lot of those humans are um, on the older side, right? Especially in the manufacturing space, the energy space, um, power and utilities, right? A lot, there's, there's, there's like this workforce in like the 50s, 40s to 60s, it's aging out. And those aren't 
cool, sexy industries for Gen Z. Um, and so how do you make those industries interesting and attractive for them and e- easier to get into for them? And so back to our augmented reality worker assistance example, I think that's going to be huge for those spaces. Um, I really love the impact of this technology in healthcare. Um, it's pretty insane how archaic a lot of the training and collaboration and um, procedures are in the healthcare space. When you think about it in healthcare, like it's all about a 3D thing, the human body. <laughs> mm-hmm. And all the imaging we do is in 2D. All the surgical planning we do is in 2D. All the training and learning we do is in 2D. Oh, actually, you, know, you can bring out cadavers. That's very 3D and, and hands-on. But like even that has all kinds of problems, the expensiveness of cadavers, the um, longevity of a cadaver. Um, you know, like that cadaver could just become a 3D hologram and you could do all kinds of things and for way cheaper um, and at a much higher iteration speed. Um, and I, I went to Mass General Hospital in Boston a few years ago and they're showing me how they all collaborate and they literally will cram like 10 doctors into like a tiny little, you know, four foot space where there's like four screens of medical images and patient data. And they're all like climbing over each other to like understand it. And they're all not, they're not even looking at it. They're all looking straight ahead. And so you can imagine putting AR glasses on and just now we have that campfire experience around mm-hmm. medical images and patient data. And we're able to just have a much more productive planning session or conversation with the patient, even about their, their state and their health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to take a negative again, <laughs> but um, I thought you were I thought you were a convert already. I didn't know I was gonna have to create a convert, but that's fine. That's no, no, I'm... this is it's it's interesting. <laughs> it's bringing up different different points for sure. I was just thinking back to way back at the beginning, and you're talking about people getting out and scraping their knees and toughening up and everything. I would argue that. With a 3D modeled cadaver, maybe our nurses and doctors wouldn't necessarily be quite as prepared emotionally, psychologically. There's always going to be a place for the cadaver because you got to be able to touch the organs and feel the skin and see the blood and get over the, you know, grossness of it all. <laughs> um, if, that, if that's the right word, I don't think it's the medical term for it. Um, <laughs> um but there's still that phase before you get there where you need to learn about the human anatomy and there's certain kinds of things that you could get much faster understanding of before you hit the cadaver and then you're spending less time on the cadaver because you already know exactly where all the veins run, where the bones run, how to enter. You really become proficient in that. So when you get to that cadaver right away, your skill set is high enough where you pass the test and you're quickly into the hospital system doing the real thing. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to give the impression that I don't agree with 99% of what you're saying. You gotta, you gotta be, have a level of healthy skepticism because there's, there's truth to the things you're saying too. Yeah. Gotta, gotta try and poke holes. So, (laughs) so, um, yeah, so this is directly to our listeners now how can people get involved in helping us reach the metaverse mm. goals of the future mm. there's so many ways if i had just to pick one thing 
I'll go back to this, this the Center for Humane Tech that I talked about and the, the folks that created the social dilemma. Um, video, film, um, they've actually created a course, a course called the Center for Humane Technology. Um, better said, a course for creating humane technologists, right? And um, their mission is to try to educate 100,000 people in the tech space on what it means to build humane technology. Um, and it's their grassroots effort to kind of very bottoms up way, get people in seats at big tech companies and startups that are designing interfaces and designing systems and designing algorithms that take the problems you talked about into account. I think it's a really amazing um, cause and effort and it's a free course. I think it's just on center for humane tech or center for humane tech.org, I think is the site. Um, and I would say look into becoming a student of that and they're building really an amazing community around it. It's a great networking opportunity, I'm sure. And so that, that's the one thing I'm pointing people towards. Perfect. Yeah. We can put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Um, great. Then I think it's about time to wrap up. So do you have anything to plug anything you want to tell us about? Oh, the shameless plug. Yeah. Shameless. My favorite, my favorite moment. Uh, I mean, I, I write a newsletter, uh, about this space. It's called medium energy. Um, it's www.mediumenergy.io. And, uh, it's about all this exponential technology. It's about being human and it's about the convergence of those two things. And so, yeah, subscribe if you're interested in that stuff and what we talked about. And um, we definitely appreciate that. And that's the main plug. Awesome. Great. And uh, now, who should we have on Venley Expert Talks next? Mm. Your chance to call somebody out and make yeah. them talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, the, the most recent article I wrote is, is uh, it's called A Conscious Approach to Web3. It's the first company deep dive I've done, and it was on a company called High Vibe Network, and they're building, they're building the metaverse that we've talked about and imagined, and the one that I imagined in that other article, the ultimate promise of the metaverse. They actually pinged me out of the blue and said, "Hey, that that vision from your essay, like we're building it, like let's talk." And so that essay talks about um, a real metaverse. It creates those transcendent transcendent experiences moments of connection and mindfulness and so i think their founding team is super impressive and they have some folks that you should maybe have on like phase phase is the founder and see one of the co-founders and ceo and uh, chioko's a friend who's one of the other co-founders there so they're pretty amazing I, I'd, I'd suggest them perfect will do Definitely. well then thank you so very much for your time today i really <laughs> enjoyed this talk it was interesting Bye. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to Venley as you guys uh, go to market. Awesome.